Cherry Hill Volvo, we have absolutely incredible offers and a plethora of both new and certified Volvos from which to choose. We are eager to offer amazingly competitive prices, plus an additional $1,000 Costco discount on all new Cherry Hill Volvos. When leasing or purchasing a new or certified Cherry Hill Volvo, you become a valued part of our team. Join Cherry Hill Volvo for the pricing and attention you deserve. I am Judith Krepnick, president of Cherry Hill Volvo. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The revolution will be broadcast. This is the next generation of talk. Now, on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, Rich Zioli. All right, no jail time for Ray Epps. That's right, Ray Epps, who told people tomorrow we go in the Capitol. The only January 6th protester who actually told people to go into the Capitol. Literally inciting people to go into the United States Capitol building. That Ray Epps, uh, no jail time for him. Welcome back to our fourth and final hour here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. 855-839-1210 and on Twitter at Rich Zioli. That's right. Well, many January 6th protesters are rotting in jail for nonviolent crimes. He escapes the prison term entirely. He has been officially sentenced to one year probation, $500 restitution, and 100 hours of community service. But, you know, the thing about Ray Epps, of course, is that he was the one chanting, you know, tomorrow we go in the Capitol, we go in the Capitol. That was the guy, you know, we, I mean, that's literally. Tomorrow, we need to go into the Capitol. Into the Capitol. No! Tomorrow, we go into the Capitol. That's, that was him. That was Ray Epps. And then he suddenly became a media darling. The New York Times ran a whole story about Ray Epps, about how poor Ray Epps has become a victim of a vast right-wing conspiracy, alleging that he was a federale. Even 60 Minutes did a piece on Ray Epps. That's right, 60 Minutes. We are going to the Capitol. Who is Ray Epps? A former member of the Oath Keepers who served in the Marine Corps and was an ardent Trump supporter, or at least he was, until conservative media post-January 6 began insinuating that he was a government plant for the deep state. What exactly was the role of Ray Epps in the chaos of January 6th? No matter how many times they push this conspiracy theory, this lie, it'll never become truth. So the guy who was standing there telling everybody, tomorrow we go in the Capitol, we go in the Capitol, that guy. 500 bucks, a year probation, and 100 hours of community service. My kids do more community service in a year than, than what Ray Epps has to do. And that's something. Who is Ray Epps? Now, uh, when asked the question about Ray Epps, you know, when the FBI director was asked about him, he wouldn't answer the question. When the attorney general was asked the question, wouldn't answer the question. They just wouldn't answer the question. 
Point blank. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Christopher Ray was asked. Ray, thank you for continuing to serve with all of these uh, attempts to sully your name, mm -hmm. suggest you've committed crimes. Mm -hmm. You've done an excellent job as FBI director. I don't agree with everything you've done, but mostly I do, and I think the FBI is our premier law enforcement agency, and I support law enforcement. This is a Democrat named Steve attack Cohen. Attack the FBI is to attack law enforcement in general. See, this is the big scam A few scam days after Mar-a-Lago, there was mm -hmm. some individual went after the Cincinnati headquarters of the FBI. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how you think that came about? Uh, so the incident that you're asking about uh, was obviously deeply disturbing. We had. You know, what, let me play, let me play this one. Uh, this is this. Don't is distract better. here because we're we focusing go. on the, those who were there in an undercover capacity on January 6th. How many were there? Uh, again, I, I'm not sure that I can give you that number as I sit here. I'm not sure there were undercover agents uh, on scene. You, you, I'm, I find that kind of a remarkable statement, Director. At this point, you don't know whether there were un undercover federal agents, FBI agents, in the crowd or in the Capitol on January 6th. I, I say that because I want to be very careful. There have been a number of court filings related to some of these topics, and I want to make sure that I stick I, with him what's in... I, I understand that, but I, I just... I thought I heard you say you didn't know whether there were FBI agents or informants or human sources in the Capitol or in the vicinity on January 6th. Did I misunderstand you? I thought that's what you said. I, well, I referred very specifically to undercover agents. Yeah. And so are you acknowledging then there were undercover agents? I, I, as I sit here right now, I do not believe there were undercover agents uh, on scene. any FBI assets? Agents. Did you have any uh, assets present that day? Uh, in the crowd. When it comes to what you're calling assets or what we would call confidential human sources, sure. uh, that's a place where, again, I want to be careful, much as I said in response to an earlier question, uh, there are court filings that I think speak to this that I'm happy to make sure we get uh, to you, assuming they're not under seal. Um, and that can better answer the question than I can as I sit here right now. Mm -hmm. So he was definitive about no undercover agents. Nobody's alleging that Ray Epps was an undercover FBI agent. What everybody's alleging is that Ray Epps was, an un was a confidential human source, uh, which led to him being a media darling. Just for a point of reference, most of the January 6th defendants have received uh, an average sentence of three years. For those who receive guilty pleas like Ray Epps did, it has been two years. Yeah, for some reason, the guy who instigated the Capitol riot by saying tomorrow we go in the Capitol, we go in the Capitol, has escaped with probation and community service. It is rather remarkable, isn't it? It is remarkable. And I still remember that time when it was uh, the New York Times that did the whole big story about him. Now, the thing about the New York Times and a lot of these reporters, these, these deep state swamp reporters, is that they have a symbiotic relationship with people in the intelligence community. Now, they want to get stories done. They want to have access to things. So what happens is that in order to get their 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 stuff written, like the person who wrote the Ray Epps story, Zach Montague and Alan Fuhr, they they typically cover national security stuff. And that's that's their beat, you know, national security stuff. In order to get access to information, so that they can do their job and they can look good to their superiors and they can you know, they trade favors. So for example, the deep state will come to them and say, "Hey, can you write a story for us?" And then they, now they have a chit, you know what I mean? So now the reporter has a chit to call in 
and call in and be like, hey, uh, you know, on background, what's what's really going on here with uh, Lloyd Austin? I, I got I got to write something that that no other newspaper can can write. I need to I need to be I, we at the New York Times. We got to do something that nobody else can do. So what's really going on here with Austin? And the person be like, all right, listen, am I on background, deep background? And then they'll give them stuff. And that's the symbiotic relationship that exists between the government and the corporate media. So back in, uh, it was uh, January of 2024, Ray Epps, this is the title of the story, Ray Epps, target of Jan 6 conspiracy theory, is sentenced to probation. The one-time Trump supporter was driven into hiding after Fox News and prominent Republicans spread a false narrative that he was a government agent who helped instigate the attack on the Capitol. Oh, this is from today. I'm sorry, from today. Ray Epps, the former Trump supporter who became a target of a conspiracy theory that he was an undercover government agent who helped to instigate the January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol, was sentenced on Tuesday to a year of probation for his own small role in the riot. Small role of telling people, tomorrow we go in the Capitol, we go in the Capitol. And then the day of, J6, the Iowa Day of the Left, telling people, we go in the Capitol. Instead of the six months in prison the prosecutors had requested. The probation sentence imposed after Mr. Epps had pleaded guilty last year to a single count of disorderly conduct stemming from his presence in the pro-Trump mob near the Capitol brought his prosecution to a close, but it was unlikely to end the persistent false narrative that he was a provocateur out to entrap his fellow conservatives on January 6th, even though he, his lawyer, the prosecutor, and even the judge overseeing the case all asserted in open court the tale was preposterous. You see the game? You see the, the, how it's rigged and how the New York Times write, writes it? To end the persistent false narrative. Sounds a lot like the COVID lab leak theory, right? The debunk COVID lab leak theory. And the story that I was originally trying to find, which is from January of 2022, July of 2022, it was entitled A Trump Backer's Downfall as the Target of a January 6th Conspiracy Theory. Ray Epps became the unwitting face of an attempt by pro-Trump forces to promote the baseless idea that the FBI was behind the attack on the Capitol. And this guy, Alan Fuhr, who wrote that story, is a a reporter who his now bio says, I cover extremism and political violence for The New York Times. Mm -hmm. Now, let's think about what else he's writing today. He's also writing about Trump's immunity case and arguing that presidents can go to prison for their actions, in which case then the question I have is, when does Barack Obama go to jail for ordering the assassinations of four American citizens with drone strikes without so much as even a trial in absentia? You know, the Constitution clearly says that uh, no person can be deprived life, liberty without due process. President Obama killed four American citizens. Now, at the time, nobody really cared because they were suspected terrorists, but they were only suspected. They hadn't been found guilty. He signed a presidential memorandum executing these men. And, you know, the point that I raised at the time was, is this legal? I guess we're in a war. War on terror. Presidents can do anything. But as the Trump question gets played out here about presidential immunity, that's something that I'd like to reexamine. You know, like, could could Barack Obama get arrested and charged with murder for killing those American citizens without a trial, even in absentia, without any due process whatsoever? He just decided that they were terrorists and signed a memorandum uh, ordering their execution. 
Uh, but but Ray, but I'll come back to that in a moment. So so this so Ray Epps became this this victim here, and from C, from sixty minutes to the New York Times, the stories about Mr. Epps were quickly seized on by the Fox News host Tucker Carlson, who gave them a wider audience. They were also echoed by Republican members of Congress, like Representative Thomas Massey of Kentucky and Senator Ted Cruz of Texas. Especially, Mr. Uh, eventually, Mr. Trump joined the fray, mentioning Mr. Epps at one of his political rallies and le- lending fuel to a viral Twitter hashtag, who is Ray Epps? He says, I'm at the center of this thing, and it's the biggest farce that's ever been. It's just not right. The American people are being led down a path. I think it should be criminal. Mr. Epps says that he is a victim, and he and his wife have been searching for a lawyer to help them with their defamation lawsuit. Well, how's that going? Huh? How's that? How's that defamation lawsuit going? Mr. Epps says the truth needs to come out. And he acted stupidly that day, telling people the day before and that day to go into the Capitol. So, he, you see, the government came to him and said, Ray Epps is, is our guy. And we need you to write glowing stories about him and tell everybody that this is a uh, vast right wing conspiracy. And the corporate media goes along and does what the corporate media is told. So that's what they do. And then. In return for that, the government, Deep State, will feed writers like this guy from the New York Times, this guy, uh, Alan Fuhr, more information. And the symbiotic relationship persists. And poor Ray Epps, a victim of this vast government conspiracy. You know, the majority of Americans believe that the FBI did play some role that day. And I don't think that people suggest that the FBI instigated January 6th. What they're saying, though, is that the FBI, these confidential informants, were there to throw gasoline on the fire. Like it, may, it, may, it may not be that the FBI sat down and drew up a detailed blueprint on how January 6th was going to play out, but it's like the kidnapping of the Michigan governor, Gretchen Whitmer. The idea was launched by a bunch of guys drinking beer, but it was actually put in motion by people who were confidential human sources by the FBI. See what I mean? So you, you had people originally telling Ray Epps, saying to Ray Epps, fed, 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 and saying, don't say these things. We're not doing that. No, 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 no. January 6th comes the next day, the high holy day of the left. Ray Epps is there again telling people to go into the Capitol. And you got you get people riled up. People are angry. There's emotions going on. And then they, they throw gasoline on that fire, and then they light the match. And I think there's no question that that's exactly what happened here, that the United States government played a huge role in this. The day of and leading into it of firing people up. It's just the way the facts have unfolded. And, and, and it serves their purpose, right? Why would the government want to be involved in doing something like this? I know it sounds conspiratorial, but think about it. Joe Biden's administration has for years been talking about the threat of domestic violent extremism. It, it, it all stems from January 6th. I said on January 7th, we're all, we're, we're all going to lose more liberties as a result of this. And what's going to happen next is that we're, we're going to have a situation where they will use this as an excuse for more spying on us and more erosion of the constitutional liberties that we are quickly losing in this country. And sure enough, I'm right. Now, if you think about this question of why would the government want to provoke people? Well, you have your answer. 
Now, every day is January 6th. Every anniversary of it, we can get a depressing, dystopian speech by the Democrat president. Every day, we can warn against political extremism and violence at Trump's a violent threat. And every day, we can have another excuse to spy on American citizens and strip away their liberties. Every single day. So that's that's the reason. That's the motivation. It's, it's because, you know, if you don't have the supply to be the demand, the demand being that you want to say over and over and over again that there is, in fact, a domestic violent extremism problem. You have this demand, but you don't have the supply. That's a problem. You know, that's a problem for you. And so how do you how do you how do you deal with that? Well, you create people who might be domestic violent extremists, such as, for example, moms who go to school board meetings and Catholics who pray in mass in Latin. Obviously, I mean, that's that's what you do. It's not that it's not that complicated. You do it that way. And then and then you give the government more power over us. The government is always looking to flex its muscles constantly. It's always looking to flex its muscles. And there's no question in my mind that what they would like to do more than anything, more than anything, is to have the ability for all of us to be under their thumb whenever they want, whenever they want. I mean, that's it. That's that's what they want. You know, that's that's their thing. And that's what they want. And, you know, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, these things are completely irrelevant to them. They're in, they're irrelevant. They stand in the way of the government. It's like I told you yesterday with William Penn. You know, the, 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 the principle of religious liberty, the, the concept of religious liberty and how you can say, no, I won't bake that cake or yes, I will pray at my son's football game or no, I'm not calling a man a woman because these things violate my beliefs or I'm not going to not do those things because they violate my beliefs. Um, the fact that you have the right under the First Amendment because of your religious beliefs is something that the government hates. Here's reporters being caught in hot mic laughing about uh, Trump's, Trump being assassinated. This is from media. I had a hot mic caught journalist joking about former President Donald Trump being assassinated as they awaited his appearance at the federal courthouse where his criminal in immunity appeal will be held. Here, take a listen to this. I mean, if he's driving, we've got a good shot. Yeah, if he's driving with the front window open. Yeah. Or if it's a convertible. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't thinking about that. Yeah. Like if he just pulls up like, like JFK. Just make some presidential assassination jokes. No big deal, right? No big deal. The corporate media doing their thing. Nah, it's no big whoop. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Don't worry about it. So now the question about presidential immunity and whether or not we can arrest Barack Obama, who there's talk now of him becoming potentially now the uh, potentially now becoming the next president of Harvard. I don't know how it's going to work out for him if he's in prison. But can presidents be arrested? Can presidents be charged after they leave office with the actions that they've done while they were in office? That is the question. That is the question playing out right now in federal court. I have a lot of thoughts on this for you, and I will share them with you upon my return. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich. Zioli, can you arrest presidents for their actions in office after they leave office? That is the big story of the day today. It's brought to you by my friend, Dr. Mike Venaria, VenariaDental.com. Get the smile you deserve from my buddy, Dr. Mike, VenariaDental.com. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Zioli Show on your schedule from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. Can presidents be held liable for their actions while president, even if they broke the law? That is the question, of course, that is facing uh, former President Donald Trump. That is the question right now that everybody is asking. 855-839-1210 on Twitter, at Rich Zioli, if you want to weigh in today. Uh, by the way, you know, I, was, I, I told you I was supposed to be on Jesse Waters yesterday, but they... I was driving home to change when his producer Jack called me and said, Rich, the governor just announced that they're keeping William Penn. And so there was no need to do the segment. But they said, you're a guy. You're a Philly guy. We'll, we'll have you back on the show soon. So my thanks to them for that. But I don't know if you caught this on Jesse Waters last night. A sex scandal rocking President Trump's case in Georgia. A new motion says Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis financially benefited from hiring her inexperienced lover on the, the case. The sex scandal is rocking President Trump's case in Georgia. The Fulton County Georgia District Attorney Fannie Willis has been accused of appointing her lover as a special prosecutor in the case against she. Donald Trump. DA Fannie Willis is responsible for taking Trump's mugshot also allegedly financially benefited from hiring her lover, Nathan Wade, on that Trump case. This is according to a motion that was just filed by Wade, the co-defendant. Now, who is this romantic partner who Fannie Willis hired? He was just a private attorney who's never even tried a felony case. Even the Times says he has, quote, limited experience trying high-profile cases. But get this, Fannie's alleged lover has been paid nearly a million dollars in legal fees already. Who authorized the payments? Oh, that would be Fannie. Where'd she get the money? Oh, that's your money. Came from the taxpayers. They've allegedly gone on luxury vacations to Napa Valley, even taking Caribbean cruises. And Fannie isn't even denying that she's hired a guy she's sleeping with to prosecute Trump. Well, why, why deny it? I mean, you, you, you're able to go out there and enjoy yourself and go on these nice vacations. So please, why would anybody think that? 
Why would anybody think that that's a problem? Uh, so good for Jesse Waters for covering that yesterday. I think that's really, really important. So we, we have the, um, the hot mic uh, joking around, the reporters joking around about Trump getting assassinated. Ha, ha, ha. Very, very funny. The question of presidential immunity. Now, this is this person in court here. I'm going to tell you about this, this person here. Uh, Judge Penn was appointed by President Joe Biden, was asked an idiotic question. And the question would be, of course, if a president did this, what would happen? Now, Pam, the judge, is married to Dem Party activist Max Steyer, who's one of Brett Kavanaugh's chief agitators. All right. But here's the question. Attorney for former President Donald Trump. This is the exchange. Take a listen. President order SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival. That's an official act in order to SEAL Team 6. He, he would have to be and would speedily be, you know, uh, impeached and convicted before the criminal what prosecution. What if you weren't? There would be no criminal prosecution, no criminal liability for that. Chief Justice's opinion in Marbury against Madison and uh, uh, and our Constitution tradition and the plain language of the impeachment judgment clause all clearly presuppose that what the founders were concerned about was not. I asked you a yes or yes or no question. Could a president who ordered SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival who was not impeached? Would he be subject to criminal prosecution? If he were impeached and convicted first. And so, so, so your answer is, is, no. is my answer is qualified. Yes, there is a political process that would have to occur under our, the structure of our Constitution, which would require impeachment and conviction by the Senate. In these exceptional cases, as the OLC memo itself points out from the Department of Justice, you'd expect a speedy impeachment and conviction. But what the found now, you see, the point that he's making is that the way to deal with presidents who abuse the law, the way to deal with that is through the impeachment clause. I mean, obviously, ordering SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival or, say, a, a leader of a foreign country, these things are uh, against American law. But what gives the president a right to assassinate an American citizen? When Barack Obama ordered those drone strikes, the question that I have, and this is the question that I think a lot of people have, is was that legal? Was that legal to do? Could you do, could, could you do it? Were you allowed to turn around and say that an American citizen who's a suspected terrorist, all right, a suspected terrorist, can be assassinated by the president of the United States? And the argument, of course, goes that, well, you know, Obama was, we were in the middle of a war, and these people were threats to the homeland, and so therefore the president had the right to sign a memorandum arguing for their execution. But the ACLU was not happy at the time. The ACLU filed a lawsuit challenging the government's targeted killing of three U.S. citizens in drone strikes far from any armed conflict zone. In Al-Ulaki v. Panetta, the groups charged at the U.S. government's killing of U.S. citizens Anwar Al-Ulaki, Samir Khan, and 16-year-old Abdul Dalum Al-Ulaki, I'm probably not saying that right, in Yemen last year violated the Constitution's fundamental guarantee against the deprivation of life without due process of law. Quote, the killings are part of a broader program of targeted killing by the United States outside the context of armed conflict and based on vague legal standards a closed executive process, and evidence never presented to the courts. That's, that's, you see what I mean? That's what I am telling you about. These, these drone strikes against American citizens, there's no clear understanding of whether or not the United States of America and the president have the right to kill them. 
There's, there's, I mean, even the Atlantic at the time wrote a piece, Obama's weak defense of his record on drone killings. Ten years after the Awalaki killing, a reckoning for the United States drone wars await. Was this a, was this a, a, a counterterrorism coup or a constitutional crisis? The question of whether or not the executive abused his power in killing people. Modern War Institute frames it like this. From the Magna Carta to the U.S. Constitution, citizens have sought ways to protect themselves from the arbitrary exercise of sovereign power. The drone strike on Awalaki reversed this historical process with an executive process. From the so-called Terror Tuesday or Targeting Tuesday meetings where President Obama personally approved targets for drone strikes to the drafting of the legal logic justifying the extrajudicial killing of an American citizen, the strike on Awalaki was the result of decision-making within the executive branch. Completely absent from the proceedings was the judiciary, which acts as a crucial buffer and neutral arbiter between the citizen and the executive. In its own defense, the Obama administration argued that due process was not the same thing as judicial process— and presented the test that it used to justify the targeted killing. While some observers have emphasized the narrowness of the legal standard, it was crafted specifically to target Al-Awlaki, therefore reinforcing just how discretionary this exercise of executive power was. Furthermore, it was conceived of and adjudged constitutionally sufficient by attorneys who had previously opposed executive overreach during the Bush administration. The Obama administration's legal test also suffered an internal contradiction by the standards of the administration's own actions. Now, think about this now. The administration decides all by itself, we can kill somebody who's an American citizen. They claim that capturing him was not feasible. It risked American lives on the ground in Somali, Libya, Pakistan, and yes, even Yemen to capture or kill terrorists or rescue hostages. They said that in the case of Awalaki, They risked the Constitution in using unmanned machines to kill an American citizen from the safety of the skies. Perhaps the foremost principle in applying the Constitution to counterterrorism is that we must not destroy that which we are trying to defend, Modern War Institute writes. While there were apparently several procedural layers that led to Awalaki's killing, too much secrecy shrouded the bureaucratic process, secrecy, of the executive branch playing judge, jury, and executioner. As a result, the targeted killing of Awalaki presents a constitutional gray area in the intersection of the executive, secret intelligence, and the rule of law. It was secret intelligence that the Obama administration relied on. Now, what if, 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 if I'm president and I find this to be completely object, objectionable and I decide I'm going to charge him with murder? I, I, want, I want him charged with murder or a state decides to do it. A state where uh, Al Lockie was, was a resident. Or since the, the, the crime happened in D.C., technically speaking, um, the District of Columbia, the, the United States Attorney for D.C., turns around and says there's no statute of limitations on murder. And um, we believe that this was a federal crime because it was committed by the president of the United States. And we charged the president, we charged Barack Obama with the killing of Anwar al-Awlaki. Now, even though people at the time cheered on his death, it doesn't make it legal. So the question is, just because presidents do something, does it automatically make it legal or not? And this point about drone strikes cannot be overemphasized because years later, we still don't know the answer to that question. Years later, we still have no idea whether or not a president can really kill an American citizen on, on U.S. soil or outside of U.S. soil. We have no idea. We just don't know because nobody's ever challenged it in court. 
But it came up today. It came up today in Trump's immunity case. It came up big time. And the answer is still unresolved. The question is going to be, who decides these things? Who, do, who decides these things? How does it work? This is what Trump said uh, outside the courthouse today. Because Take a listen. Joe Biden, I spend a lot of time in courts, federal, state, city. And tomorrow I'll be attending another Biden-inspired federal appeals court argument on presidential immunity in Washington, D.C. Of course, I was entitled as president of the United States and commander in chief to immunity. I'm entitled to immunity. Every president has immunity, especially one that did the job I did. I did a great job and I wasn't working for myself. I was working for the country. I wasn't campaigning. The election was long over. Wasn't campaigning. I was looking for voter fraud, something that I have to do under my mandate, I have to look for voter fraud. And I was finding it. Tremendous amounts of voter fraud. In the Think about it. His mandate is to take care that the laws are faithfully executed. So you can make that argument, right? Just like you can make the argument that Trump, that, that Barack Obama was totally in, in line uh, with killing Anwar al because he had a, an oath of office to protect the United States of America. This is why this is such a great area. Well, I want to thank you all. And we had a a very momentous day in terms of what was learned and what they've conceded. They conceded two major points that were uh, they were right in doing it. I don't think they had much of a choice, but they're very, very big, very powerful points. And I think we're doing very well. I think it's very unfair when a opponent, a political opponent is prosecuted by the DOJ, by Biden's DOJ. Uh, so they're losing in every poll. They're losing in almost every demographic. Uh, numbers came out today that are uh, really very mind-boggling if you happen to be Joe Biden. And I think they feel this is the way they're going to try and win. And that's not the way it goes. That'll be bedlam in the country. It's a very bad thing. It's a very bad precedent. As we said, it's the opening of a Pandora's box. And that's a very... That's a very sad thing that's happened with this whole situation. Uh, when they talk about uh, threat to democracy, that's your real threat to democracy. And I feel that as a president, you have to have immunity. Very simple. And if you don't, as an example, if uh, this case were lost on immunity, and I did nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong, I'm working for the country. And I worked on uh, very hard on voter fraud because we have to have free elections. We have to have strong voters. We have to have free elections. Those two things almost above all. And we found tremendous voter fraud. We have a list of it. We have some findings if you want it. The press doesn't like reporting it, but we found tremendous voter fraud, determinative voter fraud. But we worked on that. That's what I was doing. And uh, they were talking about after. Well, nothing has to do with after I left. It was during the time. And, that and that's the key. During the time he's president, while he's president, if he does something that they view to be criminal and Congress does not impeach and remove him for it, years later, can that president be subject to the United States justice system? All right. And that's the question. Now, clearly, I think based on Article one of the Constitution, the answer to that is, is an absolute no. Right. Absolutely not, because they want the president of the United States to they want Congress to deal with a president who they believe has abused office. And certainly the idea of going backwards in time and charging a president in the criminal courts for actions he does as the executive is completely antithetical to the impeachment clause. Why have an impeachment clause then? Why? Why? 
Just treat him like every other citizen, every other American, and he has to face due process in the criminal courts, for, for no matter what he does. That would be lunacy, and Barack Obama needs to be arrested for murder. We're really focused on today during the appeal, and they concede that, and everybody concedes that, and if it's during the time, you have absolute immunity. So uh, we'll see how it all works out. Uh, we have uh, a great argument. We have an argument with they conceded two major points today. In fact, I think it's probably a concession. You have to ask the lawyers, Todd, if you'd like to talk about it. But they conceded two points that I think were, uh, by normal standards, if it weren't me, that would be the end of this case. But sometimes they look at me differently than they look upon others, and that's very bad for our country. Uh, you had a very big event yesterday, as you saw, in Georgia where the district attorney is totally compromised. The case has to be dropped. Uh, they went after, I guess, 18 or 20 people. They wanted to go after a lot of other people. They wanted to go after senators. She was out of her mind. Now it turns out that that case is totally compromised. In fact, they say she's in far more criminal liability. Well, that's the, p- the part I played you from Jesse Waters earlier today. So I think that when um, you look at what happened, where. They pay a lawyer with absolutely no experience, $700,000, who happens to be her lover or her boyfriend. And uh, then they go on trips and vacations together, very expensive vacations together. And the reason they paid him so much, because he was after me. Because this way they can afford to pay him a lot more. It probably passes a certain test. And that's a very sad thing that happened in Georgia. And I would imagine that case is going to be dropped. Every legal analyst that I've spoken to, every legal analyst that I've read have said that case is so compromised now it has to be dropped. Uh, Very good people were very badly hurt by that case. It's a shame. Very good people. People did nothing wrong. Uh, They did nothing different than what Democrats have been doing for years and years and years, whether it's slates or anything else that you're talking about. But they were very hurt, and it turns out that uh, she profited tremendously on that case. It's illegal. What she did is illegal. So we'll let the state handle that. But what a uh, what a sad situation. It is a sad situation in Georgia. No question about it. I want to thank everybody for the fairness. We've been covered very fairly. Most people agree that uh, we're entitled as a president to immunity. If you didn't have immunity, as an example, uh, Joe Biden with the prosecutor, we're not going to give you a billion dollars unless you get rid of the prosecutor that's after... That's after now, Congress can company, impeach Joe Biden for doing that. Congress can. But he wanted that process. But to charge Biden criminally for bribery? You no. You can say the horrible job he's done at the border where our country is being destroyed or the horrible situation that took place. The lowest moment, I think, in the history of our country was Afghanistan, the way we withdrew. Not that we withdrew, but the way we withdrew. With, with shame, we surrendered. Uh, this is Trump killed. outside the courthouse today. Great soldiers killed, many unbelievably, horrifically hurt, wounded, hurt, and hundreds of people died on both sides. Hundreds of people died. He could be prosecuted for that. So you can't have a president uh, without immunity. You have to have, as a president, you have to be able to do your job. But if this didn't work out, if I wasn't given immunity, then other presidents, when we talked about today, uh, President Obama with the drone strikes, which were very bad, and they were mistakes, terrible mistakes. And 
you can't put a, uh, you really can't put a president in that position. So I think most people understand it and we feel very. And, and the drone strikes were maybe in America's national security interest, maybe not. That that determination needs to be made by Congress. Otherwise, we're going to have problems here. Because you can go back and almost argue that anything a president has done has broken a law. And then at that point now, every... Listen to me when I tell you this. If they rule Trump does not have immunity as president, and that the impeachment clause is the only remedy for a president who breaks the law or abuses his power, and that the writings of the Federalist Papers indicate as such... Every single president of the United States of America will be criminally charged one day after they leave office. Mark my words. Every single one. There will be not a single president who is not charged with something. And it, it could be as simple as spying on American citizens. George Bush could be charged with, the, uh, with torture. I mean, the, we, we, could, we could do this all day. And as a country, we would become a, uh, even more of a third world republic. Because every single president, every single one... When they leave office, will eventually wind up being criminally charged for an action they did as president. That is why the remedy is the impeachment clause, period. And if Congress does not make the determination that the president has abused his oath of office and violated his 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 job and abused his power, that's the end of it. For better or for worse, that's the end of it. Because you know the next layer in this madness is what about civil lawsuits? Can we start civil you know suing presidents civilly? for their actions as president. That would also be a chaotic cluster F for the courts. All right, I got more to say before we turn it over to the great one, Mark Levin. It is our number four on Twitter, at Rich Zioli. Coming right back. Thanks for listening to the Zioli Show podcast from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and the Odyssey app. All right, I got to get out of here and turn it over to the great one, Mark Levin, of course. But real, really, I mean, this, this issue of presidential immunity, I can't stress this enough. This is the question. You know, can presidents be charged criminally for their actions in office after they leave office? And if the answer to that is yes, then we are going to have a fiasco. And Barack Obama's decision to order the assassination of American citizens on foreign soil is is a question that has not been decided by the courts. And does the executive just get to kill an American citizen? Does due process not follow you overseas? Does due process not count if you're suspected of terrorism? What about other crimes? And all of these questions that 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 are only can only be and I mean this can only be resolved by the courts and Congress while the president is in office in terms of disciplining a president in terms of 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 removing him from office because that is what the impeachment clause is all about now in terms of deciding whether a president is legal in what he's doing I'll give you another great example the internment of Japanese Americans and German Americans and Italian Americans during World War II by Franklin Delano Roosevelt who signed an executive order forcibly removing them from their homes without due process and putting them in concentration camps internment camps now the court ruled in Korematsu that that was legal but it's it's since been overturned it's since been overturned that that it was in fact unconstitutional to do this to these American citizens the point is that do you want to now posthumously impeach Franklin Delano Roosevelt? Do you want to posthumously impeach him and remove him from office for what he did with that determination? Or do you want to recognize it at the time Congress did not feel that what the president did was unlawful to the point of impeaching him and removing him from office? Because there's really no statute of limitations on a lot of these things. And I, I mean, technically, you, I, I guess you could, you could do that. I guess you could you could 
you could make that argument that we want to strip him away of the title of being president. But it's so stupid to ponder. Just like it's stupid to ponder the idea of charging President Trump with election denialism, which, first of all, is really a thought thought crime more than anything else. But but for his actions as president, looking for voter fraud, to take care that the laws are faithfully executed, and that's what Trump did, and then to then turn around and say Donald Trump is guilty of these things. And Donald Trump now should face federal uh, a federal court for what he did here is the height of absurdity. It really is. And it is going to cause a constitutional crisis, the likes of which we've never seen. And the Supreme Court needs to resolve this. The remedy for a president who abuses power as president is Congress via the impeachment clause, period. Or the courts, if they want to sue the president over the president's actions. Or if an American wants to argue that his actions violate the Constitution and the Supreme Court wants to hear that case, then the court is the arbiter while the president's in office. If the president doesn't comply with the court's ruling, then Congress can impeach him and remove him from office. That is the, that is the way the founders intended for this to be dealt with. That is what they wrote in the Federalist Papers. End of discussion. Have a great rest of your night. Mark Levin is up next. I'll back with you tomorrow, 3 p.m. to 7 on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. Keep the conversation going on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Thank you. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons, 3 to 7. Talk Radio 1210 WPHD and on the free Odyssey app. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.